in Acts 11, we'll be reading in verse 19. And the Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad on the upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word, but none unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then these tidings, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all, and that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In verse 19, we see the great dispersal. After the stoning of Stephen, the news was scattered abroad, and men started to go to different places. It's almost like a Tower of the Babel situation. And we see in verse 21 the growing. The men who went as far as Phenis, Cyprus, and Antioch began preaching the message of salvation. And it said, A great number believed and turned unto the Lord. In verse 25, we see the going when Barnabas was looking for Saul. In verse 26, we see the gathering of the church. It said, in verse 26, it said, The people of Antioch, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And the tidings came unto the ears of the church which is in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all. With purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found them, he brought them to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In verse 26, we see the gathering. But also in verse 26, we see the given name. We see at the end of the verse, it said, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. At first, the church of Antioch was a safe people after the men taught them the message of salvation. But they weren't Christian. They hadn't truly been sold out for Christ yet. They didn't fully follow the things of God. But when Saul and Barnabas came and taught them, they heeded the things that they said. And the people around them noticed that something was different. The people of the church at Antioch were given the name Christian, which means Christ-like or of Christ. The people at Antioch had just gotten saved and had an excuse for not being fully Christian. Our church has no excuse. The people weren't taught anything other than the message of salvation. But when they were taught, they heeded the instruction of Paul and Barnabas and were given the name Christian by the people of Antioch. The name Christian was given to those around them. They were given the name Christian by the people of Antioch. Notice the wording. They were the church at Antioch, not the church of Antioch. So what I want to preach on for the next couple of minutes is this. 
the difference between being saved and being Christian. The first point is, well, first you've got to get a background on what being saved means. Being saved simply means that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It means that you get to go to heaven when you die. It means that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It means that fellowship has been restored. It means you have dying grace. There are a lot of benefits that come with being saved. But if that's all you settle for, why even get saved? Being Christian is a whole other thing. It does mean that you're saved, but it means more than that. Being a Christian requires more of you than just settling for being saved. You're just going to sit there and be a do-nothing Christian by saying, well, I'm saved, I get to go to heaven, that's fine by me. And that's it. Now, some may give the excuse that we can't be fully like Christ, and they'd be right, but we can, have, we can try to have His attributes. Now, obviously, we can't be God and perform miracles, but we need to live as close to Christ's example as we possibly can. We need to do the things that Christ did outside of doing miracles so others can see our example. Hence why the Bible said working out our salvation. And when the world sees something different, we can tell them about Christ and lead them to the Lord. Here are our attributes of a true Christian. Christians have an effectual, fervent prayer life. The Bible says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. As we heard in Brother Byram's message. Another thing, another attribute of Christians is that Christians aren't complacent. The message that Brother Christian preached, complacency kills, and it really does. We're, we're sitting there, like I said earlier, being do-nothing Christians. We're being busybodies in the things of the world. And we're not really heeding the instruction that's given to us. We've heard a lot of preaching in the past couple of weeks and months. Door of service. Door of opportunity. Door of fellowship. Of salvation. Christians are diligent in service. Kind of got ahead of myself there with the door of service. The door of service was a very good message. Thank you for heeding the Lord. But that, that really got to me. Everything he said, which I can't recount because we'd be here till next New Year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did say a lot. <laughs> but you can go back on YouTube and listen to that message. It was a very good message about how we're supposed to be diligent in service. Another attribute is Christians live life above the sun. Brother Cody's message about Solomon on how he had everything the world told him he needed to have and he hated his life. He hated everything about his life because he was living life under the sun. Everything under the sun he had seen and done and he wasn't happy because he didn't have joy. Happiness is a thing of the world. Anyone in the history of mankind, in all the history of mankind, we've seen that those who chase happiness are left high and dry. They're always seeking the next source of happiness. Many Christians nowadays only seek the next source of happiness. But we're, we're not supposed to seek happiness. We're supposed to seek joy. Joy is given by the Lord. It's only given by the Lord. And it can only be found in the Lord. A true Christian believes in the reality of hell. Brother, Brother Joss's message about the reality of hell. That kind of spoke to me a little bit because yet again we're sitting here doing do nothing, we're being do nothing Christians. We may be raising our hands saying amen, but we're just as dead as when we came in, as when we leave. 
we're hearing, but we're not listening. We're not taking into account the things that God's telling us through the man of God. The man of God is doing his absolute best, I hope, to heed the instruction of God. He's doing everything in his power to mind the will of God. I'll say it like this. The man of God wants his will to align with God's, not the other way around. He doesn't want God's will to adhere to his. He wants to serve God only. He must love one master and hate the other. And a lot of the Christians serve the world, not God. A Christian's faith doesn't waver. A true Christian's faith does not waver. Brother Cody Zorn's message, Faith Under Fire. A wavering faith is not a good thing. It is something that causes churches to crumble, to split. It's a thing that makes people crumble. It's a thing that can lead to depression. A wavering faith is a very common thing. Not many people have a solid faith. The Bible says that if you have faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain, be thou, and move into the sea. And it'd go. A true Christian does his best to put God first in his life. I, uh, I was reading in the Bible the other day, and I saw something about Elijah and the widow woman. Elijah told the widow woman to use all she had on him first. And after that, she could make food for her and her son. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make much sense. She wouldn't have much food left at all because she was going to go eat and then die. This example can be likened unto God. God says, make me first in your life, and then what is left, you will see that more than enough is provided in your life. You don't try God, you trust Him. Now, an example can be the body of Christ. The church can be likened unto the body of Christ. But I think that many of, if you're thinking about a body, you think of the parts of the body. And I think many Christians have settled for appendix Christianity. Who knows here what the appendix does? Absolutely nothing. But it can cause a lot of pain and discomfort. Many Christians have settled for appendix Christianity. It's a crude analogy, but it's true. Yet again, we're sitting here being do-nothing Christians. We think about what is being said and what is being saying, but we really don't think about what is being said and what is being saying. We listen, but we don't. We hear, but we don't listen. Who here knows the story of Amnon and his sister Tamar? In 2 Samuel 13, 3, the Bible says this, and the first five words are all we need to know. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. Jonadab, in, the, in 2 Samuel 13, 3, says, But Amnon had a friend. The first five words of this verse are all we need to know. But he had a friend. If you read into the context, you see that Amnon's friend Jonadab was a horrible influence, especially in this case. And this brings into account your thought life. Amnon's thought life would not let him change his mind. Jonadab wasn't helping. He was encouraging that he would do a horrible thing to his half-sister Tamar. 
It's so important that you keep godly friends around you. You may have a bad idea and that friend, because you heed that friend's advice, you make a bad decision. It also brings around the point of your thought life. It's a, it is a very, very important responsibility that you bring every thought into captivity. There are many things that I, I myself catch myself thinking, and I, th- and I think to myself, why am I thinking about this? And then I realize that I keep putting myself in the same situation that causes me to sin. Many Christians nowadays don't even realize that they're putting themselves in the same situation that causes them to sin. They try and find ways around it, but they can't because they keep putting themselves in the same situation. Don't let society or your friends dictate your relationship with God. Always be thinking on good things, as said in Philippians 4.8. Don't let the things of the world get in between you and your walk with God. It takes discipline to be fully sold out to God, but it's worth it. I heard it said like this. The most worthwhile things in life are seldom the easiest. The Bible says this. You are bought with a price. Now, Xander, my best friend in the world, what does the Bible say you are bought by? You're bought by a price, which is the blood of Christ. Brother Doug, what are we bought by? Brother Clint, what are we bought by? Church, what are we bought by? Why are we putting a number on that price? Too many times we're putting a number on the price God paid. It is, it is a priceless price. It seems that too many times we do get consumed in the things of the world. Their traditions... It's almost kind of like the uh, Christmas play. That was the point it was getting at. It's telling Christians that we need to get back to God. We need to use our sticks to start a fire that gives God the glory. We need to use our towels to wipe away the tears flowing from God's goodness. But I wonder how many of us heard the play, sat there and listened to it, walked out the same way he came in. And it's been said many times that when you walk into a church situation, every time is life or death. And it is. Especially if you're not saved. I I heard a poem this week, which I don't think is a coincidence that I heard it this week. But it's by a woman named Martha Snell Nicholson, who had four incurable diseases in her life. She was a Christian, and here's, here's what she wrote. The title of the poem is called, His Plan for Me. It says, When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he shows his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here, and I checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still. He would have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace. And here's the stanza which really gets me. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with the tears that I cannot shed. 
I shall cover my face with empty hands. I shall bow my uncrowned head. Lord of the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me. Mold me too. Pattern thou hast planned. This is coming from someone that had four incurable diseases. This is coming from someone that didn't have much time left to live. This is coming from someone who had such a close walk with God. Even though she had four incurable diseases, she still wanted to give her all to God. She didn't give up. She didn't want to be a do-nothing Christian. She didn't want to be a busybody. She didn't want to be a diatrophies. Too many times we see that we are do-nothing Christians. I'm guilty of it, but I'm glad I'm not anymore. And I hope I never return to that sad state of mind. But I believe that God's will is God's will. It's God's will. And he, God told me this. He said, my will cannot be stopped, but it can be hindered. I don't want to be the reason someone trips and dies to go to hell. I don't want to be that stumbling block. I want to be a stepping stone that leads people to Christ. There is a difference between being saved and being Christian. Now, there are a lot of things in the world that are technically Christian, but they aren't Christian. Because Christian means Christ-like or of Christ. I see a lot of people in churches that call themselves Christians, but they don't seem or look like they're of Christ. They don't act like they're of Christ. They don't do Christ-like things. They keep putting themselves in the same situation that causes them to sin. They're not, they don't have that door of fellowship. They may not even have the door of salvation. They're sitting on a church pew, trusting in that they're on the church roll, which is what I was. I was choosing to believe that I was saved when I wasn't. You can be saved out of religion, out of a sad spot in life, out of depression, out of so many things. But after that, all Christians are called to do something. It seems to me that too many people aren't looking in Proverbs. The, there's a verse in Proverbs that said, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Right. What that means is, if someone tries to get you to do something like Jonadab did for Amnon, don't do it. Right. Don't heed their advice. Right. Too many times you give in to their advice. Right. I, I heard it like this. You gave, Brother Moore, the illustration upon being lukewarm. And what God told me from that is this. If you're warm, you act godly, you have the things in your life, but there's still some cold. There's still some things of the world in your life. Yeah. If you're lukewarm, you're sitting on the fence. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're getting complacent. Yeah. You don't have an effectual, fervent prayer life. Yeah. There are some things that I put earlier in here that, that you need to be doing as required to be a Christian. Christians have gotten as many things of the world out of their life as they possibly can. Bad music, bad movies, bad TV shows, bad places, bad thoughts. This can be covered and seen in Brother Jordan's message, How to Live a Victorious Christian Life. 
Thought life does matter. Only you know what you think. So that's between you and God. Many, many of the times we think that God doesn't hear what we think. He can't see what we think. He doesn't know what we're thinking. But the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Some, for some people in here, that day hasn't come yet. And I hope that day doesn't come. But I'd rather you get right with God now than to go on down the road and get deeper in your sin. In John Bunyan's um, the, the book Pilgrim's Progress, in the beginning, when the Christian, the main character, set off to go to Calvary, he fell into the sloth of despond. The sloth of despond can be visualized as sin. The entirety of Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian's life. It goes through good times, hard times. In the book, Christian lost his best friend. He was burned, burned at the stake. But God, that's a good phrase, but God, rich in mercy, he led someone into Christian's life who replaced his friend and helped him as they went to the celestial city, as he called it. But I, I feel like I need to read this poem again because I don't think some people got it the first time. Mm-hmm. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? He would have me rich and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with the tears that I cannot shed. I shall cover my face with my empty hands. I shall bow my uncrowned head. Lord of the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me. Mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. There's a lot that that can be taken from that poem. There's a lot that can be gleaned from that poem. It said in Acts 11, when he found him, brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves, the church, and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I wonder how many times you've been called Christian. Whenever you go out, has anybody ever come up to you and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? They can see by the way you talk, the way you walk. They can see God in you. That is what Christians are called to be. But yet again, it brings up the point where do-nothing Christians. Too many times we get consumed. Maybe by the world, by ourselves, by hobbies, by sports, by food even. But God gave his life in such a way that we cannot, we cannot just sit there and do nothing. I don't think any of us have been beaten to not even resemble a human anymore. I believe that all of us in here resemble a human, well, at least some of us. (laughs) But I, I don't think that 
well, I don't think, God doesn't think that we should sit here and do nothing. I don't think anybody in here has had a cross on their flesh ripped back. I don't think anybody in here has had their hair ripped out. I don't think anybody in here has had nails through their hands. I don't think anybody in here has had a cross placed on their back and walked two miles to a hill where he would eventually be nailed. I don't think anybody in this room has had the sins of the world placed on them. I don't think anybody under their own power has been risen from the dead. I don't think that anyone in here can do what Jesus did on the cross for anyone. We cannot just sit here and do nothing anymore. We can't. We absolutely cannot. We're not being diligent in service. We don't have fellowship. We're not taking the opportunities. God opens doors that no man can shut, and God shuts doors no man can open. But too many times you just look at that door. Just stare at that door. You think, well, I don't know if this is best for me. Well, let me tell you something. You don't know what's best for you. God does. You may think you do, but you don't. The Bible says in verse 19, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose, but Stephen traveled as far as Phenis, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word, none but to the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, and when they came to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. I think Christians have become to become prejudiced. We don't tell certain people because we don't like them. Now, by a show of hands, who in here would want someone to go to hell? I don't see any, but I also don't see any halos. We, sometimes we don't even tell people. We just sit there thinking that we can do nothing. And by thinking that, you've become that. We've seen so many times in many messages in the past months that should convict us. And back to the illustration of being lukewarm. If you're cold on God, you're like Job. You looked up, looked around you, from left to right, in front of you and behind you. You can't find God. When you look at a cold Christian's life, you can't find God. When you look at a cold Christian's life, you can't see the things of God. They've been consumed by the things of the world or themselves. And so the people of Antioch had just gotten saved and had an excuse for not being truly Christian. Our church does not have an excuse. Those, here, those who have been here any length of time have been preached the word of Jesus Christ. They have been preached how to live their life and how not to live their life. I don't want this church to become the church of Florence. I want this to become the church at Florence. And it said they were taught in the heat of the instruction of Paul and Barnabas. And they were given the name Christian by the people of Antioch. But that's all we've settled for. It's all we've settled for. Being a Christian is a whole different thing. I wonder how many people in here have an effectual fervent prayer life. I wonder how many people in here are complacent. 
I wonder how many people in here have tried to get as many things of the world out of their life as they possibly can. I wonder how many Christians are diligent in service. I wonder how many Christians don't take the things of God for granted. I wonder how many Christians are an example to those around them. I wonder how many Christians have a faith that doesn't waver. I wonder how many Christians that truly believe in the reality of hell. That's the problem. We don't put faces on the people that are going to be cast into the lake of fire. By show of hands, who in here has a lost family member? About everyone in here. Put their face on the person that's going to be cast into the hell, to the lake of fire. Think of them when you read the verse, when you, say, when you, when you see and read that the Bible says there was no place found for them. Think of them when you think of what Jesus did for them. But we're sitting here being do-nothing Christians. We're being stumbling blocks. They're tripping over our idle bodies and falling into hell. It's a sad reality that many churches even call themselves churches anymore. It's a horrible thing. We have settled for Appendix Christianity. We have that friend that we have not chosen to get rid of that Amnon had. Jonadab, the Bible says, was a very subtle man. Your friends, believe it or not, may try to lead you down the wrong way. They may try to lead you down the wrong path. They may cause you to do bad things, make bad decisions, think bad things, influence you to do things you would have never thought you would have done. And for those in here who are true Christians who see other Christians that are struggling, Galatians 6.1 is still in the book. Those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. But too many times, those who have the ability to take action don't. Too many times, those true Christians become cold and indifferent on God. They're letting society dictate their relationship with God. Keeping up with the next new thing also brings up the thing of happiness again. Searching for happiness all the time, every time. It'll leave you high and dry. Every single time. Mark it down. It will. Every single, every single time. The Bible says we are bought with a price. We're putting a number on that price. Maybe a number of how many friends you have how many times you've done something, how many points you scored in a game. But we're taking God's sacrifice and we're throwing it under a bus. We don't really think about what he actually did on Calvary. For many hours, Jesus was hung up there on the cross, paying for our sin. He didn't even resemble a human being. What he did for us, we can't even fathom. And yet he chose to love us. But God, 
rich in mercy, came to save me. I don't understand it. Now, this message was not a praise and hallelujah message. But there can be some praise today if you dedicate your life. But the thing about dedications, they're like New Year's resolutions. Break down in the next two weeks. That's why Paul said he died daily. Daily he committed himself to the things of God. Daily he chose that no matter what. Even if it caused him pain. Even if he had to deny himself things he wanted to do. He would choose to stand on the word of God. In, the, in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. The Bible says in verse 5, And they all slumbered and slept while the bridegroom tarried. This can be likened again to Christ. The bridegroom is Christ. The Bible says, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. We're sleeping while God's saying. When God's here, we choose not to do anything. When God's here, we don't heed what He's doing. We are bought with a price. It's a priceless price. It's a price no man can number. But we're putting a number on that price. We're not letting God have His plan for us. At the judgment seat of Christ, it'll be like stanza four. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with the tears that I cannot shed. I shall cover my face with my empty hands. Here's the part that gets me. I shall bow my uncrowned head. One way or another, the Bible says, every knee shall bow and profess that God is the Christ. He's the King of Kings, the glory. He is the glory of glories. He's the King of Kings. He's a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he knew that this church service would happen. He knew who would get right with God and who wouldn't. But still, he's calling. Jesus is calling that you get right with him. Now, I will admit it is very hard to get the things of the world out of your life. For me, it was music. If you don't know by now, I kind of like music. It was very hard to me because the things of the world, they do sound good. But there's pleasure in sin for a season. After that song, you just sit there wondering, why did I listen to this? It has no spiritual meaning. It has nothing to offer me. And that's also applicable to movies and shows. Places you go to, games you play. It's a very hard thing to be diligent in service. It's a very hard thing die daily. It's a hard thing to have an effectual, fervent prayer life. But all this preaching we've heard has led us to this point. We need to get right with God. All those who are willing should come down to the altar and dedicate or rededicate their life to Christ. I want everyone's eyes on me right now. God is good. Amen.
all the time. God is good. If you're not saved today, you can't be saved. We can get someone to lead you down the Romans road, anything that you need to help convince you that Christ is Lord, that he shed his blood for you. And you can get saved today. Today can be a very joyous day for you. If you're not saved, you can't be saved today. But those who are saved, which is mainly what the message is being preached on, those who are saved, does your life matter for Christ? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you sitting there being a do-nothing Christian? I, the last stanza says, Lord of the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me. Mold me to the pattern that was planned. But we don't want that plan. We want our will. We want God's will to align with ours, not the other way around. We're numbering the price. The, the quote goes like this. The most worthwhile things in life are seldom the easiest. And it's true. There's a lot of truth in that statement. But I wonder how many of us have the attributes of Christ. How many of us are honest? Perfect, meaning whole. How many of us are kind? How many of us are kindly affectionate to one another? How many of us have unconditional love? How many of us choose to go about the Father's business? How many of us choose to forsake the things of the world that we may be closer to God? How many of us choose to be Christ's example? How many, how many people in here, when they go outside of the church, to their homes, their families, the store. How many people are a shining example of Christ? We don't believe in the reality of hell. The reality of hell is a very real thing. It's a very real thing. But we don't believe it. Christians have become soft. They've become complacent. They're sitting there being do-nothing Christians. Just sad reality. But it can be fixed today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're not saved, you can't be saved today. If you're backslidden on God, today is the day to come back because we're not, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the next five seconds. But we don't believe that. We've, we've become comfortable with time. Everyone thinks they have it, but nobody has enough. Every time we'll think we'll get to it tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. And for all we know, tomorrow may never come. But the things we listen to, the things we say, people we hang around, things we look at, things we hear, most of the time we're putting ourselves in that situation. Some of the times we're not. But I, I was with a friend once, and we went to this friend's house. 
Within 15 seconds of me talking to him, I'd only said one word. Not one word, one sentence. He stopped the whole conversation. He looked at me and he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? He offered me something and I said, no, thank you, I'm good. That's it. That's all I said. 15 seconds later, he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? To me, that gave me a lot of confidence that I was doing something right. I was doing something right so much so that someone actually noticed that I was an example for Christ. When I told him that I didn't do the things that he did, I didn't look at the things he looked at, I didn't listen to the things he looked at, he was astonished. He thought that there couldn't be another way out there. But when people don't have God, they turn to something else. Many people turn to the world, and those who are in the world can turn to drugs, music, many different things. But I wonder, this is the last point, I wonder how many people, I wonder the disciples here, can people call you a Christian? Can people say in Kentucky, in Florence, that we're the first church to be true Christians. We have yet to see what a fully sold out church can do for the world. Because there's been no fully sold out church. Those things in the Bible can still happen. But we don't believe that. You're putting God on the shelf. We've made something else our God. We've let something else come into our life that hinders us. We're sleeping while God's staying. In the parable of the ten virgins, it said, five are wise, five are foolish. Foolish ones didn't bring oil for the lamp. The wise ones did. But it all came down to verse 5. Every single one of them slumbered and slept while the bridegroom tarried. None of them stayed with him. It didn't say the bridegroom slept. It didn't say that he slept at all that night. But the Bible says while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. We're sleeping while God's staying. We're getting consumed by the things of the world. In, uh, in Isaiah thirty-eight fourteen, it says, Like a crane or a swallow, so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove, mine eyes fail with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed, undertake for me. In Isaiah, he was looking up and he couldn't see anything. He was being Job. He looked all around him, he couldn't find God. No man lives unto himself, no man dies unto himself. Your actions do affect others. You're not an island. We are blinded if we believe that our sins don't affect others. Our actions do affect others. I heard it said like this. If sin brought only the relief and restoration of forgiveness, we might consider the thrill of sin worth the brief gap of fellowship with God. The one who sins and repents is forgiven. However, there follows the reaping. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. There are consequences for sin. Stay close to God. Don't give in to sin. And in 2 Samuel 11, 1-5, the Bible says, And it came to pass, an eventide, 
after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? And David sent messengers and took her. She came into him, unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified of her uncleanness. And she returned to the house, and the woman conceived, and sent and told to David, I am with child. This all happened because David wasn't where he should have been. Right. He wasn't there at the time when kings go forth into battle. Right. He slept in. He was sleeping while God was staying. David wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. It led him to committing an adulterous act of murder. All because David wanted to take a break and sleep in. Sure, you could say that the enemy killed Uriah. But David, we know that David killed him. David wanted to cover up his sin, and it led him to cover, killing Uriah. It's way too important to being about the Father's business to be taking a self-appointed break or reward. We're diatrophies, basically. Sin, my right to my claim to myself. We think we deserve things when we deserve hell. It's all we deserve. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And it will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. But today can be a day of forgiveness. Today can be a day of getting right. Today can be a day of dedication. Today can be a day of salvation. Today can be a day of restored fellowship. Today can be a day where you wake up and are about the Father's business. Today's a day where you can wake up and see that you're not where you're supposed to be and you can get to that point. You can do the things you're supposed to do. It'll take diligence and service. It is hard. But God gave our best. God gave His best. So we should give our best. The song says our best are all. These talents may be few. These things may be small. But we need to give them our best. And our all. Salvation is a wonderful thing. It gives us a lot of benefits. But like I said earlier, if that's all we settle for, why even get saved? God saved us for Him. He didn't save us for ourselves. Something I'm guilty of? I've been a do-nothing Christian. But I'm glad that I'm not anymore. There was one day when I figured out that I was in the wrong, when I woke up, see that I wasn't doing what I should have been doing. Then I got convicted. I got right with God. And then He convicted me again. And during the, during the, the revival in December... He was dealing with me about the call to preach. He settled it in my heart around three weeks ago. Been waiting for the right moment to announce it, which was last week. Now I'm doing what God wants me to do. Now I'm doing what He's called me to do. But I dare say that most Christians aren't doing what they're called to do. Most Christians aren't doing what they need to do. Most Christians are sleeping while God's staying. 
while the bridegroom's tarrying, you're slumbering and sleeping. But aren't you glad that God doesn't sleep? He doesn't slumber. He's always by our side. He'll never leave or forsake us. But that's not true for us. We can leave and forsake Him. But thankfully, there's a thing called grace. There's a thing called mercy. There's a thing, when even when we think we don't deserve it, it's there. There's an abundant supply of grace and mercy. But there's a day when your sins are going to find you out. There's a day when you realize, if you even wake up, things that are going on, things that are happening, things that are happening in the world, when we could be making a change. Through Christ, we could be a sold-out church. We could be. But the church is made up of members. And it's on those members to do their job. Those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to. But we forget our responsibility. We forget our ability. In the example of Elijah and the widow, we need to make God first in our life. It doesn't make much sense to, makes much sense to us to give, to give God our everything. But we see that Elijah and the widow woman, Elijah told him to give him everything she had first. And then she can make food for her and her son. God says, make me first in your life. And then what is left, you will see that more than enough is provided for him. Don't try God, trust him. Too many times. Too many times we get consumed. But what we need to get consumed by is the fire of God. There's a song, trust me, try me, prove me. Song is a very convicting song. There's another song, Cleanse Me. Yeah. Search me, O oh God, yeah. and know my heart today. Yeah. It's the end of Psalm 139. Yeah. People don't pray like that anymore. People don't speak like that anymore. But it's still possible. Today can be a day of forgiveness and praise. Yeah. Today can be a great day for you. Yeah. Today can be a day that you will remember for the rest of your life. Yeah. That you chose to stand on God's word. That you chose to do what he told you to do. But I wonder. This is it. Are we going to do it? Are we truly going to be sold out to God? Are we truly going to do what he's called us to do? If you enjoyed today's message, head on over to ibcflorence.com and click on sermons. And don't forget to check out our other links in the notes section of today's broadcast. As always, thanks for listening.